0: Welcome to the There It Is podcast. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Wherever you are, I hope you are dancing to this funky music. If anyone asks, just tell them that you have their-itis. Let's do this! I really do hope people are dancing to the music when it plays, uh, because that is a side effect of having their-itis, dancing to the There It Is theme song. Shout out to Neil Brooks for giving me that instrumental. Hey, if this is your first time listening to the There It Is podcast, Thank you for listening. This is a great episode, but I have other great episodes for you to enjoy, too. Check them out. They're all fun. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, Leave a review. Also, engage us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at ThereItIsPod and like us on Facebook Go to thereitispod.com to check out blogs and you can listen to the episodes there as well. I mentioned today's episode was great. It is. I have the super nice and super talented writer for last week tonight, Josh Gondelman. He was also one of the two brains behind Modern Seinfeld the Twitter account that wrote premises of Seinfeld episodes if Seinfeld was still on today. It's a fun talk. We talk about both of those ventures as well as his book and how he got into stand-up. It's all coming up after this. Do you toss and turn at night because you want more of the There It Is podcast? Are you growing despondent between episodes? Do you often wonder where it is? I'm Jason Farr, and you may have Theiritis. There is no cure for Theiritis, but you can join a support group. The Theritis Foundation. Support the There It Is podcast to keep your Theiritis at bay, as in B-A-E. Go to thereitispod.com and click the support button. You can support one time only or become a monthly supporter. Supporting the Their Itis Foundation allows for us to keep getting the word out about their itis through the blog on theredispod.com and the podcast. You don't catch their itis. Their itis catches you, but it's okay. And I should know, I too have their itis. So, Josh, you've done a ton of things. Like, I. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite the accomplished man. Uh, I mean, you've you've written a, a good bit. You've had a lot of things published. Uh, you've been published in New York Times and The New Yorker, and you uh, have also been an Esquire and, and BuzzFeed. You worked at BuzzFeed for a bit, and you've written a book.
1: I just I did one freelance piece for BuzzFeed that was really fun. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. And, uh, and then also... Like a lot of people of course know you from stand up and last week tonight, but you were also uh one of the co creators of Seinfeld Today.
1: Yes, that's true. My friend Jack Moore and I created that together and uh, and that's a really fun little thing.
0: Yeah, it's super fun. As a big Seinfeld fan, it's a it's a real fun thing and it's
1: I I love it. I uh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's nice to do. It. It's kind of like a perfect... It's a Twitter account for people that don't know, which is probably most people. Is, um, <laughs> there, It's a Twitter account that's like plot lines of Seinfeld episodes were Seinfeld to exist now exactly. yeah, in the present day, in our estimation, which is a lot of fun. It's like, I mean, the characters are so vivid and the style of the show is so distinctive that it's really fun to just kind of like plug and play with like... A new topical event or technological phenomenon uh, to figure out, like how would Elaine interface with Snapchat or whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's super popular. It's doing real well. Um, before we get into, because I definitely want to uh, pick your brain on your process and creating all the different kind of things that you create. Sure. Like,
1: what inspired you to get into comedy? Oh man, I guess I always really loved jokes even from the time I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I've always really gravitated... I mean, even reading, like, joke books that you would get from the Scholastic Book Club or whatever, um, it was always something I was excited about. And I always loved comedies as, as, like, a genre of, like, film and television. I I loved comedy, and still do. And um, I think it just always interested me as something I wanted to, like, try to be a part of because it was all my favorite stuff.
0: Yeah, and, that, and you're from the Boston area,
1: right? I am, yeah. I and grew up just outside Boston.
0: So, I mean, I've never been there, so for people like me, we, like my, I guess my uh, understanding of the Boston area is a really sharp, sarcastic wit.
1: Yeah, it's, I guess... Sharp it's very sarcastic. And I think the sharpness or bluntness is on a spectrum. But I definitely (laughs) think there's like a a a sarcasm to the town and like a not taking crap from people. That's like part of the sense of humor. So like sometimes it can be like a really sharp, incisive jab, or sometimes it could just be really blunt sarcasm, like, yeah, good idea, pal. You know, like that, (laughs) which I think is uh, is also a very valuable form of sarcasm, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. That I I always admire. I like admire bluntness in people's <laughs> comedy when it when it works.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because you're such a, a you're such a kind-hearted person and such a <laughs> nice person that someone even wrote like you were kind of the poster child for nice people comedy of today.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for saying um, so.
0: Well, I mean, it's not even just me. I mean, what was that a New York Times
1: article? What was that article that? Uh, uh- yeah, there was a uh, there was a really nice um, Times article about like kind of gentle hearted comedy, and I had the good fortune to be featured there with like Josie Long uh, was mentioned and spoken of a lot, and like Ron Funches and Pete Holmes and Ryan Hamilton. So it's great company to be in. All people that I really really look up to and admire. As do I,
0: as do I. Yeah, that's definitely a good read. So would you say that your experience growing up in uh, Boston sort of informed sort of your, your
1: humor? Because you do have a sharp wit yourself. Well, thank you. I I do. I think so. I think like I'm kind of a very gentle person by nature and upbringing. Mm-hmm. But I also think that growing up in Boston and especially doing, you know, like playing sports when I was a kid and Doing um, comedy in and around Boston kind of helped me develop, like, a thicker skin than I might have gotten if I'd grown up in, like, in Asheville, North Carolina or, like, a Portland, Oregon. You know, I might have been uh, even softer as a human. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I could see that. So when did uh, comedy become an idea as a career move
1: for you? So I went into college thinking I was going to write something, plays or books. Uh, I went in as like a theater major, prospectively. And by the end of my freshman year, I think I was like, well, I'll do, I'll I'll be a writer. I'll write something, but probably not theater. And I had um, started, I'd done a couple stand-up sets on campus, like, oh, this could be fun. And I think I did one or two in high school, like at Talent nights at a local boys and girls club or something yeah. but after after my freshman year in college, I was like okay I'll start to try to do it um like for real, so I started doing open mics in Boston, and so by the time I graduated college, I was doing a lot of stand up and writing at at school but i my the couple of years after my writing kind of fell off because there were no assignments but I mm-hmm. kept doing stand-up and I was like oh maybe I can move in this direction and I was you know by the time I graduated I was getting paid gigs and working around the Boston area and so it was it felt like a, s- a side job or like a second job at the least at that point
0: mm-hmm. I'm trying to see how everything weaves in what was the next thing for you after uh, was it you know New York and,
1: and so, stand-up career or what So, I was working in Boston still. I was teaching preschool and I was uh, working, just working during the day, tutoring in the late afternoons, and then going to a, um, and then going out and doing stand up every night. So, that was kind of like my schedule uh, on the weekdays. And then I would do, you know, sometimes a little further from home, like go around New England on the weekends. And it was all great. And I, I really liked it. But I wanted to figure out what I could do to get to the next level in terms of like getting better at stand-up, um, getting more gigs, like being on the road more, uh, doing less, like that was just confined to a small geographical area. Uh, and, and when was this? What time? So this is like, I around, this, so this is around kind of like 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been out of college for a couple of years and a few years and i was ready to like try something out so i was doing festivals and i ended up doing the laughing skull festival in atlanta which was super fun oh, yeah. and it was a competition so i won the first the inaugural one of those and that kind of got me out into the world a little more mm. and that's when i started thinking like okay maybe i've accomplished all i can in boston But, and and I should try New York because there are not necessarily that I would succeed right away, but there are more and different kinds of opportunities there that I wasn't getting where I had started, you know, like writing opportunities or performing, uh, you know, seeing people that, you know, like national headliners on a nightly basis. And so I, I was excited to move to New York and give that a try. Yeah. So How did some of those writing jobs come to you? Some of them. So I just started writing for places with kind of low barriers for entry in terms of like you didn't have to know an editor. You could submit. Like McSweeney's, maybe something yeah, like that. Yeah, McSweeney's, you can just submit. They have open submissions and they won't take stuff if they don't like it. But, you know, it's not that they publish everything. So, which is actually kind of beneficial too because when you run something on McSweeney's, it's been vetted and people trust that it'll be good and then readers of the site will read it. It's not like something that they might browse across casually and be like, nah, you know, because they they have such a strong curatorial voice. So because they don't take everything, it's like kind of, it's a thrill. It was a thrill for me every time really that I get published there. So that's very, it's very exciting and nice. So, so you started like
0: writing more and uh, and, you, and more and presenting yourself uh,
1: and and submitting yourself to yeah. bigger things too. Yeah, and then you start getting asked to do stuff. Um, they, you know what I mean. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's. You get start getting asked to do stuff like once people see you're writing some places they go, "Hey, you wrote this thing. we'd love for you to write a similar thing or a different thing, or have you ever written anything like this?" and then you get to kind of branch out a little bit, which is really nice, and that opens doors you know you meet people, you go, "Oh, I'd love to write for this, and you find people that know how to help you do that,
0: yeah, oh yeah, so how would you say uh?" Your stand up career and your writing career how did those how about how long did it take before you really started getting some traction
1: um in terms of stand up or writing or,
0: both? or uh,
1: both like the writing and the stand up I guess the writing happened a little faster than the stand up but I think it was probably because I'd already practiced writing you know in college and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and had written stuff before where stand-up it just took me a few years even to feel like oh i know at all what i'm doing here Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think stand-up kind of started taking off in 2010 when i won this festival and i'd been doing it for about six years at that point almost six years and then writing stuff kind of took like a year until i was freelancing kind of steadily, not necessarily doing a ton of super high profile or high paying stuff, but was able to like get work. And some of it was really fun and exciting. And some of it was like, you know, little stuff here and there. And I would kind of do everything. And then uh, a little while after that, I got into, um, I got, I got, I became comfortable with the idea that I could say no to things and didn't have to like write anything for any amount of money or no money.
0: Right. How did you come up with your ideas for your writing for your oh. uh the stuff that was published
1: so some of it was stuff that was assigned to me, which is fortunate. I like homework right. I'm always happy <laughs> to have like homework assignments as a professional, and then some of it was stuff like you know I would recap a show for a season or sometimes it was just stuff like when I was pitching things to McSweeney's or The New Yorker. it was just something that would spark in my mind and I would go, "Oh, maybe this would make a stand up bit or maybe." It doesn't quite have the rhythm or the the scope of a stand-up bit. So why not try uh just you know, why not try writing it out and seeing if it works as like an 800 60,0-word humor piece?
0: Right. Now you wrote a piece called Both Sides of A uh, Breakup.
1: Oh yeah, that was with my uh my ex-girlfriend, a friend of mine. Gabby, who we had just broken up, and we—that we were asked to do, like oh, a, okay. an editor that we were—they were trying to do a whole series. I don't know if they ended up doing many, but they tried to get uh, people. I think they were having trouble finding two people who had just broken up that would both write about it and both felt good putting their names on it. That's like and, a, and could very, also write well. Yeah, I think More it's enough a small, for New York Magazine. A small subset of people, you know, who are... (laughs) I mean, uh, not because it's anything special about me uh, or or my ex-girlfriend. Oh, no, it's just someone being willing to, that filters out so many people. I think it has a specifically... like you have to have a specific kind of breakup to be Exactly. To
0: that's what I was just about to say. If somebody had a real nasty breakup,
1: it's like, I don't want to
0: write with them.
1: Right, <laughs> right, I don't want right. to talk exactly. about it. Or sometimes one person feels that way and the other person is like, oh, yeah, this is fine. And the other person is like, no, this is like a deep pain I'm still feeling.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's going to eliminate nine out of ten people right there.
1: Yeah, so it was. So I don't know if they if they have the series or if the series still runs. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen many others, but it was fun. It was fun to do, yeah. and like I think we both learned about the other's perception of the breakup by doing that together. Did you sit and write it together, or did you kind of write your side and we, she wrote her side? We wrote it separately and then showed our sides to each other just to ensure that we weren't saying anything like hurtful or telling tales out of school.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's a it's a nice way to do that. Uh so what came next was it uh was it Seinfeld today that was kind of the first Yeah, so that was pop? like
1: the the next thing that kind of popped off in terms of like I was writing for a bunch of freelance stuff and was very, you know, very pleased with getting to do that work and for, you know, places like um uh, New York Magazine's various blogs and uh, a couple of things that went on the New Yorker's website and uh, Cosmo and Women's Health. Mm-hmm. And um, then this, um, the modern Seinfeld Twitter kind of took off. It, it mm-hmm. happened. It happened and took off very quickly. So I was mm-hmm. tweeting about it from my own account, just like, here would be funny episodes of Seinfeld to exist. And then my friend Jack Moore was like, this should be a thing. And he grabbed the Twitter <laughs> account And we started writing it together, and it became this um, whole, like, it just kind of took off very quickly and became kind of a calling card, which is exciting. It's like, it was the first thing that I was a part of that people could trace back to me and be like, oh, you're the guy that did this thing, you know? Like an ongoing thing, not just like, oh, yeah, maybe I read that one piece here, but it's like, oh, here's a thing that people could be, like, a fan of or enjoy on a daily basis.
0: What made you to stop doing it back in uh,
1: 2015? I mean, we just were really busy, and it's it kind of takes thinking, keeping it top of mind to do. Because by the time, uh, if you're like circle back to something two weeks later, it's kind of too late for it to be Mm. effective. So it just hasn't been top of mind. We haven't like quit doing it, but it's just we haven't been thinking about it specifically, so it's kind of laid dormant.
0: Yeah, I understand that. And, but a book came out of it, a book called You Blew It. That was sort of, the you and uh, the other creator of the, of uh, wasn't you and Jack Moore wrote that?
1: No, that was me and my friend Joe Berkowitz.
0: Oh, right. And the- Joe Berkowitz. Uh, yeah. and, but it wasn't it based kind of on the modern Seinfeld Twitter account?
1: Not quite. It was, okay. it has a similar feeling, I think, mm-hmm. of like, here are Um. Here's some really like I I guess I kind of think in like that picky Seinfeld type analysis of things sometimes Uh like it's a very stand up filter to see things through and -hmm. so there's a little bit of that in the book that just kind of came out naturally of like we were Joe and I had pitched a different book and we were asked to write like kind of a general guide to like etiquette or living in the world and so we ended up writing this that has like some Seinfeld type tendencies to it, which is like, yeah. um, tangentially related, but it was really fun to work on. And Joe's really funny and talented as well, and it was great to like work closely on a project with him for a year, year and a half.
0: Yeah. So when um, trying to create stuff, tweets for the Twitter account and write for that book through that mindset of, you know, as you said, the pickiness. Um, how do you? What is the approach? I mean, that's the thing I'm trying to dissect right now is the sort of tendencies of the Larry David style of humor and the Jerry Seinfeld style of humor that created Seinfeld. How would you kind of break that down?
1: In what way do you mean? I'm sorry.
0: They, they have this specific voice. Like, an example is what comes to mind for me. Uh, when Larry David hosted SNL this season and he did uh, Burn Your Enthusiasm, a uh, riff on what if... Bernie Sanders was the main character on Kirby Your Enthusiasm sure. approach, right? And there's that bit where he's coming off uh, speaking, and there are all these uh, all these supporters that want to shake his hand, and then it comes to Leslie Jones, and she coughs in her hand, and then she goes to shake
1: Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders'
0: hand. And he goes, uh, no thanks," <laughs> you know, like it's sure, that yeah, sort yeah. of. I get why you don't want to do it, but because of that social setting, you kind of can't. But he puts sure. his foot down and does it, you know, refuses to sh- shake her hand anyway. Um, so it's such a weird twist, and I'm trying to figure out how do you come up with ideas similar to that?
1: Oh, I mean, for the modern Seinfeld Twitter account, it was definitely very much like um, okay, here is. What here's something that exists, and here is like the very specific like character from Seinfeld or situation like what you would see on Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. That is a tweak on it. So it was like very guided. You know, it was mm-hmm. a very specific thing we were doing. And then with the book, I mean, the book was like less on that premise. So it was it more just kind of came out of that voice because it was like a lot of um, very. it it was the subject matter that kind of drove it. And then the angle was like, so the book was about how everything is kind of a nightmare, even under the best circumstances. And that's Mm -hmm. like, okay to feel and okay to admit. And you just have to get through it. And, And, and it's okay to feel inconvenienced by things, but you just have to like grow up and do it. So that, which is also kind of, it's not that far off from like the thesis of Seinfeld, right? A show about nothing. And this was a book about, Problems that are usually worth nothing, but it's kind of the everything of like, we, <laughs> like taking you know, being in traffic. That's not a, uh, a a public ill. You know what I mean? It's not right. the worst thing that happens to human beings, of course, but it is something that like everyone can feel and relate to, and feels is um unpleasant. Yeah, and so yeah, it's exactly. Sort of it's, and
0: it's different. That's different than a first world problem.
1: Right, so it's, it is different, right. It it's, it's
0: something that anyone anywhere in the world, First World or not, of course. if in this situation they would be having the same experience, we just don't typically voice those complaints.
1: Right, because they're kind of these, I, I think First World Problem kind of writes off, first of all, writes off places that aren't like, I don't know, I guess what you would call a developed nation, mm-hmm. or, you know, a... Uh, like the the United States or maybe Western Europe, the way pe- that's what people are talking about usually. Right. But so it kind of writes off like you know people in Kenya have problems with cell phone reception too. So you know what I mean. But like <laughs> it's um there's and there are cities, but it's it's also just like those kind of picky pro- like non life threatening problems mm-hmm. are are what we focused on because I right. think the humor that comes out of um, life-threatening problems is not something... That's not exactly what we... It, I didn't feel like the right person hmm. to, uh, to take that on. Right,
0: yeah, I understand that. I mean, that, that's the, one of the struggles I have in my, my comedy when I try to write something about more serious stuff that's going on and I see other comics do brilliant work on the subject. I almost, I don't have a joke, it feels like. It's like, here's an opinion. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I want to have a joke. Uh, I feel like sometimes I'm not the right guy for the more serious stuff.
1: And I think that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's, everybody has a different skill set and we don't all have to be the best at every kind of comedy and writing. And we, and it's, I think it's more beneficial to speak from your, own point of view and like highlight voices maybe that can better uh, speak to these other things and like trying to cover everything as like mm. an or a tourist you know what I mean like I think there are lots of I'm not I, like there are lots of people that turn kind of depression and anxiety into like really beautiful funny comedy and it's like why would I try if, if that's not something that feels natural to me to write about or like relevant to my experience in an authentic way. I, it, it seems like a more beneficial thing to do is to write the things that I feel strongly about and feel passionate about and feel knowledgeable about and let like, you know, people like Chris Gethard and Jacqueline Novak and Aparna and Cherla at like show, you know, find ways to enjoy and appreciate their comedy and share that with people than, than trying to like do everything myself.
0: Right, yeah, that's a good point. I need to give myself a little grace in some of these situations.
1: I think that's absolutely true. There are so many things that it's like, well, I, I'm not the guy to write that joke, or I tried, and but this other stuff comes really naturally to me. And sometimes that is... I think there's a tendency to write off the thing that comes easily as yeah, like there is. not worthwhile. But I think on the other hand... Sometimes what comes most naturally, what you really like to write about is like the stuff that is your voice.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, I and like where you're going with that because it, you're right. People do. And I don't mean others judge other, other people saying uh, you're not doing what you, you're doing. The simple thing. Don't do that. I mean, we judge ourselves. When oh, it's something yeah. that comes easy, then we say, "Well, maybe it's low-hanging fruit because it's right. coming so easy for
1: me." And sometimes it is obviously. Sometimes it is right. Sometimes you see, like, especially if it's a joke that everybody you can see everybody is making. Like, I feel like there was a period that has. I, I mean, there's always like a couple things where you go to, you go to every town or every open mic within a town and everyone has like kind of the same joke on a topic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the jo- there was one there was a period and I don't want to sell out anyone or sound like I'm criticizing anyone individually for writing this joke, but there was a period where a lot of people wrote the joke uh about if I have an erection for 4 hours, right? Based on the disclaimer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like a very it's a funny joke, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a it's technically sound and it's like a funny idea. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, if you before I actually call your doctor, I'm not calling my doctor. It's like, okay, that's, I get it. It's, it's funny and it, and it works. But that's like the kind of thing where when that comes naturally to you, that has nothing to do with like your voice specifically. Right. That has to right. do with like your reacting to an external stimulus that a lot of people are getting and having the same reaction to. But if you, if you have a, an immediate response to something and other people are not having that response. That doesn't mean it's low-hanging fruit. It just means you saw this phenomenon in an interesting way. Right. Right. Exactly. That's the distinction
0: between the two. It's, I can see everyone else saying this. And I guess there's even an, a, a gray area there. Like, there have definitely been times where I wrote a joke and I, it just felt so
1: familiar. But no one else had heard it. Yeah. I asked it- them. And that just probably is because it's like familiar to your own thoughts and point of view a lot of the time. Mm. I feel like there's you know there's due diligence you can do. Uh, like you can ask um, you can ask around with friends, you can watch the person you think you might have like been influenced by. and if you do all those things and you still can't figure it out, then it's like, well, it seems like you're in the clear until someone tells you otherwise.
0: right, right. When you came up with the idea for modern Seinfeld, was it that idea of, like, when, when your buddy said, uh, oh, this needs to be on Twitter? Like, what was it the no one else has thought of this and it's a good idea? I mean, that's what we're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, I think it just seemed like when I was tweeting about it from my own account and he was like, oh, there's, like, plenty of meat on this bone, right? Like, this yeah. is a thing that people would like and there's uh, plenty to there's plenty to say with it and plenty to do with it and, like, a, a lot of place to play around. Right. and And people would respond to it because, I mean, partly because Seinfeld has such a strong following because it was such an amazing, hilarious TV show. Mm-hmm. Did you have any
0: idea that it would have taken off the way it did?
1: No, no idea, for sure. It, like, was immediate. It was the only thing I've ever been a part of that was like, oh, this is an overnight success, and people <laughs> wanted to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. It was neat. A couple of years ago, you started working on Last Week Tonight with that's John true. Oliver. And uh, at first, you were doing things on the web for them, because I, I know I saw a web video that was real funny that you were in.
1: Oh, yeah, that was really nice. It was very... Uh, flattering of them i they, i just kind of had like a like a smug hipster face in glasses so they were like well, you should do it and it was really like exciting to be asked to do it
0: oh yeah that was cool that was a funny video it was about gas prices
1: it was no i mean it was sort you were, of you were pumping gas, gas station. yeah it was about the i think republican national committee put out these ads that were like family republicans and like black republicans and hipster oh, right. republicans so we and and they were just so the the like young urban hipster was so tone deaf that <laughs> it, it was just going around on email and they're like this has to be parody and that was before the show even started yeah so that was really fun. oh yeah that's why I, I it was a real big uh moment i thought it was exciting it was so like it was lovely to be asked and i uh, I don't act a ton, but I think I did okay in them. Yeah, so I...
0: you crushed it, and it, it uh, went well virally, you know, online.
1: Oh, yeah, it was wild. I mean, it was nice to have, like, the platform of the show and HBO to push it out.
0: So for that season, you were a producer of web content, and yeah. does that mean you're writing and putting together videos like that?
1: Yep, stuff like that and the social media stuff, so that's what I did my first season. And the second season, you became a staff writer. It's true, and that was really wonderful too. So I'm still like have my eyes on the digital stuff just because my I still have that skill set, and it's um, but uh, and so I haven't entirely left that domain. But now I write for the show. Yeah, that's great. That's super. Thank awesome. you. you. It's really wonderful. On both. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and everyone there is so um, kind and talented, and it's a great office to be in. And yeah, great it seems like work. a
0: real good crew, and you got a good boss there.
1: Yeah, it's great. They're all great. So,
0: what um, kind of content are you responsible for as a staff uh,
1: writer? Oh, gosh. Just like, you know, pitching stories, writing outlines and drafts, uh, punching up with jokes. We kind of all do, all, all the writers do um, similar things. Cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so... One of the things that I have found uh, tough for me to be able to do well is is satire. Sure. Which, of course, like last week, tonight, is one of the leading comedy houses right now in, in our country. And I, I would imagine overseas as well. And it's leading that charge with satire. How do you take some of these stories? And some of these stories are, are sad stories. But how do you take them and and make them the comedy gold that you guys are
1: making. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind. I mean, it helps to have so many uh, smart people all the way through. You know, every part of the staff is really talented and capable. So from, like, finding material and finding footage to figuring out, like, what kind of stuff is factually accurate or inaccurate about the stories we're seeing and just finding the funny way in because some of the stuff is so... Um, you know, on the surface so sad, but you find someone uh, who's saying something preposterous and monstrous, and you can mark that, or you find mm-hmm. some kind of inconsistency, and it, it kind of unravels mm-hmm. from there, is what I look for. I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, that you know, I can't really speak on behalf of the show, but that's right. kind of what I try for as a way in.
0: I find myself a lot of times when I'm watching a comedy show that... I have the same perspective, and I don't mean necessarily political perspective, I just mean I find myself saying like, yeah, I totally understood that. I'm on the same page with them. The problem I have is then trying to come up with the comedic ideas. Like, how do I make a break? Uh,
1: Totally. I think it's just like getting really thorough and reading a lot about it and watching a lot of footage about it and finding the... The kind of little cracks in the story that aren't just like, um, uh, you know, that aren't just like the the nitty gritty of this happened. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes a funny thing happens, and that's worth talking about too. Right. right. Uh, the the cheap thing, of
0: course, would be to make a whole piece about somebody's voice, like what their voice sounded like, right? And that, sure. and whenever I do see that being addressed in a in a satirical piece it's always an aside it's a throwaway comment the nitty gritty is where the the humor is coming from uh and in uh like of the of these pieces the bulk of the humor sure i'm trying to figure out like how can i train myself just to learn how to do it i've like I'm, I'm definitely going to take your advice and say I don't have to be able to do everything. But Darn. the whole point of this podcast, I guess, is for me to learn how to do it. What sure. is? What would be kind of like a an exercise somebody could do to figure out how to... <laughs> exercise is not
1: the right word, but... Honestly, I think the best... I can't speak necessarily for myself, but one thing I really admire... Or I can't really speak to like how I do it just because it's just kind of like practice and practice and practice... Mm-hmm. Uh, And finding, like, you know, these little ways in. But I think that one place to do, if you're, like, looking for satire, is to just, like, read The Onion. And it's so good. Like, I know that's almost, like, something we take for granted. And it's, like, a national treasure. It's just, like, The the Onion is going to be... They get get it right, like, so astoundingly frequently. And they have such great... Mm angles and, like, strong takes on something. Yeah. And I really, really, uh, I really like it, and, and which is so facile to say. But what I mean is, like, I learn a lot from just reading that and being like, oh, that's, like, exactly the thing that needed to be said about this political event or this social um phenomenon and not yeah. you know not to copy it directly but to kind of like see what is it that they go after what are the targets of the jokes and and how do they um mine that for comedy i think that's like a really it's a clinic because i think when a lot of people make jokes about the news like you said there's like re- there's like kind of the easy thing mm-hmm. to do like this person has a funny voice um which is like very funny to make fun of someone's funny voice right but it doesn't get to the same level as like what is the foundational flaw with this policy or like hypocrisy with this point of view and 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 i think like just that the onion to me is like the greatest clinic in that
0: yeah they certainly are i don't know how they do it so well so consistently they have just brilliant writers here yeah
1: they're really good
0: Typically, this is, we're winding down here. So typically, at the end of an episode, I like to create something with the guest, um, be it a joke or. Um, and the last episode, I created a curriculum with uh, for for an improv class with uh, Jill Bernard, <laughs> which was a lot sure. of fun. So you have. Um, your tools, there's web content, there's writing satires we were just talking about, and there's, uh, of course, jokes, uh, stand-up jokes, and of course, the modern Seinfeld uh, tweets. What would you most want to do right now? What would you
1: want to try to create? Oh, man. What would you be interested in creating? Well, I
0: probably would say a, a modern Seinfeld. It's between modern Seinfeld and trying to break down a news story, but Let's feel do like let's do a modern Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, let's
1: do that. Um so what what how do we start? Okay. So it's like what's an interesting thing that is happening like it doesn't have to be like, you know, a super political or newsy thing, but like a um like just anything that's happened in pop culture the last week or so that's been really big. Uh, let's see
0: big pop culture thing yeah the last thing i can think of was something sad and i'm trying to think of something not sad. sure the what comes to mind i was just uh with some friends who we all were talking about snapchat yep and there was talk about tinder as well i imagine sure. you guys touched on tinder though
1: <laughs> yeah we've done a bunch of tinder stuff i think snapchat is interesting so like um so like cra- something as simple as like Kramer tries to design a, uh, or sorry, George George designs a Snapchat, um, tries to design a special Snapchat filter, like a location-specific Snapchat filter, for a fake business that he invented to prove that it's real.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, that's exactly what George should. George should definitely be trying to pretend. The thing that came to my mind was him always wanting to pretend to be an architect.
1: Yep. Pretend to be an architect or, um, was it one that he lied and said he was a marine biologist? Yeah. The, um... And then the there's Vandalay Industries. Industries. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, something like that, like a Vandalay Industries or, like, um, Elaine. So, like, similar to, you know, their episodes of about trying to get something off of someone's, um, answering machine, right? Like, Elaine, uh... Elaine drops her phone in the in the sink and needs rice to dry it out so she can delete something mm-hmm. she doesn't need to see in her Snapchat story like or something like what
0: that. if it was uh Jerry was dating somebody but then he wanted to break up with her because of a filter she used on Snapchat
1: like, Yeah exactly like- <laughs>
0: It seems like he would be the nitpicky one to say, like, she uses this filter too much.
1: Or, or even just like, uh, I've seen her as a dog. I can't see her as a person again. You know, like, Are stuff. you
0: a dog? Are you a person? Yeah.
1: Uh, like the good naked, bad naked episode, right? Where it's like, <laughs> no, a dog, you can't put a dog filter on someone's head and then be like, I'm attracted to that person because now they're part dog in my mind always. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How would it culminate with uh, with Kramer having a, an, a filter that's just of him?
1: Yeah. Yeah, a Kramer filter like that. Yes. That would just be totally something that happened. I like I- it. Thank you.
0: There it is. Well, thank like you so it. much. I appreciate you being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, this was a great talk.
1: Like, have I Have a great day.
0: He is the nicest guy. I'm so glad he was here to share his wisdom with me. I had a great time talking to to that very kind and talented man. Thanks, Josh. I was thinking, he's been part of two considerably well-regarded pieces of comedy over the last five years with Modern Seinfeld and Last Week Tonight. I mean, both of those things blew up and are very, very well-regarded. That's saying a lot because there's a lot of good comedy out there. So good for him good for us that he shared all that wisdom with us he's got a funny comedy album out called physical whisper you can buy it on itunes you can find it on spotify it's out there go check it out follow josh on twitter at josh gondelman And you can also check out the Modern Seinfeld stuff that they did on Twitter, at Seinfeld Today. Today's episode was sponsored in part by the early support of wonderful people like Miley White, Angela Barber, and Joe Johnson. Thank you so much for your support. If anyone else would like to support the podcast, you can at thereitispod.com. You can donate one time or monthly. It helps me to keep this ship going. May you all have their-itis. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes. Follow the podcast at There It Is Pod. There it is, another episode of There It Is. In next week's episode, I have New York City improviser and instructor Douglas Wittick from Hip Hop Improv Troop North Coast. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Until next time, be good to each other.
1: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.